Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, in today's show, we're going to talk about Metacritic. We're going to talk about Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I'm going to end it all with Xbox. But first, a quick update on that Apple and Epic Games case. If anyone remembers, years ago, it feels like it was like a, it's been like a decade now because, you know, time doesn't exist after the pandemic, right? Time is just, time is a pretzel right now. Uh, if anyone remembers, Epic Games decided to play chicken with Apple and they basically decided to circumvent Apple's terms and conditions by placing their own sort of revenue system within Fortnite that allowed people to get V-Bucks a lot cheaper because they were no longer having to give Apple a 30% cut, something that goes against the terms and conditions that they signed up to when they published a game on Apple's iOS store. So of course, Apple immediately removed it. They decided to take it to court. I don't know if you guys remember, they started that whole big free Fortnite campaign. I said it was one of the dumbest things ever to see a billion dollar company try to weaponize their consumers and their fans uh, against another company. I thought it was super weird. I still think it's super weird. And um, Apple basically won and uh, Epic Games appealed. And last week, as reported by Bloomberg, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has upheld a lower court judge's 2021 ruling, largely rejecting Epic's claims that Apple violated federal law by not allowing any competing marketplaces on its iOS platform. In August, it will have been three years since Fortnite was removed from iOS platforms. So it's been three years. So an entire three years of completely lost revenue from Epic. Not even just losing revenue from the fact that the game is not available on, you know, one of the most popular devices in human history. It's also the fact that, you know, you also have to account all the money that was lost in terms of lawyer fees and litigation, and all that kind of crazy stuff. Right. So just, just, just loss on top of loss on top of loss. And, um, this is definitely one of those moves where if I'm a shareholder in Epic, I'm definitely very unhappy about this move because it was something that from the very beginning, it had a lot of chutzpah. Like I was like, this is, these guys got balls. Uh, they got a, you know, they got a pair on them. Tim Sweeney got a pair on them trying to take on Apple in this particular manner. Um, but I feel like it was just kind of doomed from the very, very uh, beginning. And it, it'll be interesting to see if Apple sort of lets them back in. I think what Apple had said was that the only way they will reinstate Epic Games and let Fortnite back on iOS is once all this, these, this, this legal maneuvering all these lawsuits, appeals, everything was completely over and buried. I believe that Apple had publicly said that will be the moment that they will let them back. They, they won't let them back while they're still battling it, it out um, in court. So it sort of remains to be seen if iOS is just like, okay, I guess we'll let you guys back in. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think at some point Tim Sweeney was like, all right, we'll, we'll play by the rules. It's just, it's just kind of funny. Uh, how this entire ordeal happened top to bottom. Um, nice attempt, nice try from uh, from Tim Sweeney, but it obviously did not work. So our next story is about Metacritic. So last week, Metacritic pledged to introduce stricter moderation after, after Sony's Horizon Forbidden West Burning Shores DLC 
was review bombed by users. In a statement to Eurogamer, Metacritic's fandom confirmed it is aware of the, quote, abusive and disrespectful reviews of Horizon Forbidden West Burning Shores and said it is, quote, currently involving its processes and tools to introduce stricter moderation in the coming months. So uh, this is something that's just not particularly new across not only just Metacritic, but across any uh, website or service that does user reviews. This is kind of one of those things where I've been saying for a, a good chunk of time that there are reasons why user reviews should not exist, especially in the form of an aggregated score, just upfront, ready for everyone uh, to see. Because it... Um, because of these types of campaigns that begin of people who uh, are against certain what they call agendas and they use forums like 4chan, Reddit, Discord, whatever to band a bunch of people together and say, hey, this is the laziest, dumbest way for us <laughs> to feel like we're getting our point across uh, or spreading the message of our, of our really stupid take on the situation the easiest, laziest way for us to do this is to just simply go into this website, quickly make an account, and then lower, put the lowest score we could possibly put out there. And what's interesting is that when you read it, it's it, it muddies up so much when you do that, because when you look at something like Horizon uh, Burning Shores, I was looking at it on their Metacritic, and actually let me let me pull up the website because I I don't remember exactly where. It um, it it currently is at with the number itself. Right now, it's at four point one out of two thousand one hundred ninety one ratings, and the actual meta score is eighty two. Um, there's been four hundred ninety five positive, fifty mixed, and four hundred and fifty nine negative, and that has to do obviously with um, uh, user reviews. But um, the big reason why this is being um, review bombed is actually a very, very simple one. And that is in this uh, game, they, I guess, finally cement, I actually not even cement, but so this is, I, I, I guess this would be a, a, a sport. Yeah, it would be a spoiler. So I guess if you were wanting to play through Burning Shores, I guess, mute me for the next few seconds. But uh, Aloy kisses uh, a woman. That's it. That's what this is. Aloy is a woman and she kisses another woman. And that's it. That's, that's the reason why this is getting review bombed. Uh, and I think what's what the most interesting part about this was I don't I don't have Horizon Forbidden West. I do not have Burning Shores. I did not play through it. Right. So I'm getting all this information secondhand, which is not a huge fan of Horizon. Sorry, Horizon fans. But what was really interesting was when I discovered that this was an option. It's not even something that um, the character decides to do. As the player, you can make that decision and you can decide not to, which makes the review bombing even funnier is the fact that this is a, uh, a choice that's maybe ingrained in the character. I guess maybe it's something like, like I, I played the first Horizon 
I don't know if I, I honestly can't remember if really those breadcrumbs were laid down throughout the uh, the story. But it's just really funny to see people get up in arms for something that is essentially uh, a choice. So uh, here are what some of the reviews are saying. Um, I guess once again, this might be a a, uh, uh, a spoiler. I guess just skip ahead to the next story if if uh, this bothers you a lot. You want to go in super fresh. Uh, but here's some expert excerpts from those negative user, user reviews. Quote: So tired and sick of this LGBTQ agenda. It's enough, really. We don't need that in this game at all. Why, Sony? I hate forced inclusion. I hate LGTB. Because of the LGTB content, I'm not going to buy the DLC. And what's interesting is that as you read through those user reviews, a lot of them are being set at zero, but um, they don't even mention this. A lot of them are just like, oh, this was useless. This is bad or whatever. But it also kind of, even, even that to me is another proof point as to why Metacritic should not allow user review scores. Um, and and there's just so many reasons why not. But the first and foremost, before I even just talk about this, this whole anti-gay agenda, I guess, that some people have. Uh, first and foremost, there is zero way to prove that the person that's putting through a user review has actually played the game. That's like strike number one, in my opinion, when it comes to user reviews across any medium, whether it's this, uh, whether it's IMDB. I remember I brought up a lot. Uh, I, I, I tweeted about it. Um, because of the, the third episode of the last of us, which was Bill and Frank's, uh, relationship. It was sort of universally critically praised. A lot of critics said it was one of their favorite episodes. A lot of people after they watched it said it was amazing. Uh, so it definitely did not represent the majority of how people felt. But at that point, when, when it first came out, it was the lowest reviewed episode, of uh of the series and um once again it is something where people don't even need to watch the episode you can just go through and and, and review it and put it at zero so it's never going to be a realistic representation of the game the same the same could be said about positive reviews right so if you are a Sony stan and so and, and 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 a Sony fanboy. Essentially, your job is you want your side to be winning every single battle, and for that to be done, there are people out there with enough time on their hands. They're these plastic box warriors that will go into the Metacritic of any game that Sony releases. And instantly give it a 10, not even having to give much of a reason. Just like, wow, this is one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, they, they, you know, there's no way to prove that those people play those games. One of the reasons why review scores are something that a lot of people tend to, uh, I guess, trust is because you know that if it's coming through a, a media outlet, especially if the review is published before a game releases, you can, you know, put money on it, right? You can make a safe bet that that person reviewing the game actually played the video game, especially if it's from a reputable website. I'm sure there are some people that uh, can easily like, you know, read other reviews and then cobble together their own review, I guess, even without playing the game. But then, you know, you probably wouldn't 
trust very small outlets the same way you you would trust a website like an IGN or a GameSpot, um, for example. Um, yeah, the, yeah, and and then there's this whole other thing that I've this that we've been seeing this trend, I guess, of uh, what they called was what is it like the woke the woke mind virus or whatever. Like everything is woke. It reminds me a little bit of the whole thing that happened with Bud Light. Uh, with the, I think they had like a, a trans, uh, person from like an Instagram influencer on the cover of a Bud Light. And it was like this whole big mess. And it's like, wow, these, this company is, is woke. Why are you shoving this in our faces? And you know, the same thing, I, 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 I think about it in the same way of like, um, this, uh, any time there is a video game with a uh, gay or lesbian character, something that we're, we've been seeing uh, a little bit lately, right? You know, you think about even people like watching The Last of a Show that were like, oh, you know why they made Bill gay? And I'm like, they were, they were definitely, you need probably more than one hand to count the, the amount of moments in The Last of Us PlayStation 3 version, the one that launched, where it clearly tells you that, that Bill is, well, I guess it's not very clear. It's not like, Bill gets up and tells Joel, hey, I'm gay. But the, the clues are pretty much as, as as bright as the daylight, you know, that 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 uh, Bill is a homosexual. And there were some idiots that were still watching the show and they're like, wow, this is terrible. Uh, this woke agenda, they made Bill gay. I'm like, you're obviously a moron. I don't even understand. How do you play a video game if you're not even paying attention <laughs> to like the... Um, the clues that are put right in front of you, right in front of your face, uh, that Bill and Frank were partners is really hilarious to see. But when I think about this whole thing about forced inclusion and this conversation surrounding it, I just always find it really funny because I think that if we created a pie chart, and even if you were, were to do just even the last three years, I guess this period of time where people that are on that far right side think that there is this agenda and forced inclusion and all this stuff. I think if you put together a pie chart and took every video game character created in the last three years and you plotted which ones were lesbian and gay, I think you would still probably struggle to, to crack 1%, you know? And I think what, uh, I, I guess, you know, the way that I look at it is, you know, this, this whole thing about for like for me, forced, forced inclusion is when I see a video game and there's a white guy with a beard uh, as, as the lead to me, that's forced inclusion. <laughs> like we, we've had this 35, 50, a hundred times already. I don't need this guy on the cover of the video game, uh, again. And even when I think about, uh, characters in, in, in video games that, uh, people would call minorities. Like maybe it's a black female, right? With natural hair. I don't look at it. I don't understand how anyone can think that something like that is forced inclusion. Um, when, when you look at the timeline of video games, how rare it is to see a person of color, especially a person of color as a lead in, in, uh, in a video game. And, you know, I, I guess the way that I, sort of look at this whole anti-LGBTQ agenda is, I guess the way that I look at it is like, you want to live in a world that doesn't reflect the actual planet, you know, like, like these people do exist, you know, it's almost like if I played a video game and 
the main character is left-handed. You know, it's it's rare that you see a character. Like, what was the last time you saw a character uh, hold a gun in their left hand and then reload, kind of remove and exchange the clip using their right hand? It's super duper rare to see something like that, right? Um, I wouldn't look at a left-handed person and say, wow, this is terrible, forced enclosure. Like, you know, left-handed people exist. Right? <laughs> they, they exist in, in, uh, in the world. It's just it's just so sad and honestly just pathetic to see people doing this. And it, it sort of kind of has become that thing where, to me, Metacritic just needs to remove this. Because, as I said before, user reviews don't help anyone. So if you want to do user reviews um, where maybe you need like three months of activity before you give it a number, maybe something like that. Maybe remove the number uh, entirely so there is no percentage, there's no number attached to it. Maybe you can only write words and then from there you can, you know, sort of auto-moderate and say like, okay, it looks like people are attacking this game uh, because it has... A, a lesbian in it and then right there you can sort of put words to automatically send that review to moderation rather than it be automatically posted but overall i just feel like user reviews should just be completely wiped out for the simple fact that it's impossible there's no system created it's not like unless metacritic can go to sony microsoft and nintendo and say, hey, we want users to be able to sign in with their Xbox, their PlayStation account. Once we prove that they uh, finished the game, they got that, you know, that final trophy, that final achievement, then they're able to post their review. So as a person that's reading it, you know the person posting the user review has actually played through the game. That's the only time that something like that is going to be valuable to you. If not, then it's just never, ever going to... Um, get across the value that it's supposed to get across. It just doesn't make any sense. Now for our next story, we got to talk about Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So it was released last week to rave reviews, except for the PC version, which was quickly sent to negative reception on Steam due to its rather embarrassing port. Respawn has since apologized, saying, we are aware that Star Wars Jedi Survivor isn't performing to our standards, for a percentage of our PC players, in particular, those with high-end machines or certain specific configurations. And actually, let me see where that game um, is right now on Metacritic. So the PC version is currently at 78, and the user score is 2. <laughs> Oh, which is really funny. But the 78 is really the one that I want to talk about because this is something that I had tweeted about. And I think this continues to be a growing problem with um, reviews, sort of reviews, period, is that you have these review sites, even review sites that... Um, focus on PC only, meaning that they do not review their games on console. There's a lot of websites that 
when they do reviews, essentially the big ones like IGN, GameSpot, a lot of their reviews really are um, uh, console first before they are PC. Of course, unless it's a a PC exclusive. But even these websites that are sort of PC only, so you see a website like there's this one called PC Games N. They gave the game a what was the rating they gave it? They gave it an 80, so that's an 8 out of 10. PC Gamer also gave it an 80, an 8 out of 10. I just don't understand how you can give it this type of review and you are a PC-centric website. And the moment that the game comes out, we're hearing about thousands and thousands upon thousands of people that are saying that the game is hopeless. I saw so many, so much footage of people that had these amazing graphic cards, you know, the 40s, right? The NVIDIA 40s with DLSS and and putting their settings on low and the game was struggling at like 34 frames per second. Um, I just don't understand how websites can in their review, say that performance-wise, the game was bad, but still give it a good review. I just don't get that. So this was part of PC Gamer's review. Quote, the only thing that threatened to ruin my good time were the constant performance issues with the PC version. I want to re- uh, reread that. Constant. That's, that's a very important word. Constant. Constant performance issues. Even with NVIDIA's latest driver, specifically optimized for the game, my frame rate rarely slowed to a crawl at very annoying moments. Stepping through doors sometimes triggered double-digit frame rate drops for 10 seconds or more. Cutscenes often plummet to 15 to 20 FPS, cut off or overlap dialogue, and usually don't recover until I get control back. I'm no Unreal Engine expert, but the worst slowdown always seems to occur when the game's loading stuff in the background. This was this person's rig. RTX 2080 Super, i9-9900, 4 gigahertz, 32 gigabytes of RAM. I was lucky to squeeze a 35 frame per second average in the semi-open world. I briefly tried another machine, RTX 3060, Ryzen 7, 16 gigs of RAM, and I had the same problem. Apparently, they were fiddling with options. Nothing helped. Usually fail to improve my PS, but always succeed in making Cal's face blurry and unintelligible in motion. Unacceptable performance. And then this is the best part. This is the end of the review. Unacceptable performance aside, the good news is I still had a great time. How? How? How are you having a great time? You're telling me unacceptable performance aside. This person... Uh, Mr. Morgan Park gave this game an 8 out of 10. An 8 out of 10. Well, 80. That translates to 8 out of 10. Star Wars, and this was the, the, the verdict, the blurb, the final blurb here. Star Wars Jedi Survivor is an excellent sequel and a fun Star Wars story, but maybe wait for better performance. Now, one thing I've brought up before in the past is 
our industry right now, especially I, I, I'm going to say even compared to the movie industry, it's kind of weird because when I think about the movie industry and reviews, I rarely, rarely ever listen to reviews because more times than not, they get it wrong. You know why? Because movie reviewers, critics, especially the people you see at the top of like the Rotten Tomatoes are fucking snobs. They're movie snobs, right? They don't really look at movies from the every man uh, position, right? The people who I'm, I just want to go to the theater and I want to have fun. No, these people that review movies want the deepest layers, the deepest characters, intertwining dialogue and story. You know, they are, it's like they're reviewing against the best of the best every single time that they go to review a film. That's why you have something like the Super Mario Brothers movie end up with like a 50 something on Rotten Tomatoes, even though the overwhelming majority of people that actually went to go see the film all really reached the same conclusion. It was a fun movie. Was it the greatest thing ever? No. Did it have the greatest dialogue of all time? No. <laughs> you know, did it have the deepest story of all time? No. Did it really feel like a Nintendo commercial at times? Yeah, I guess it kind of did. But did I have fun? Yes. You know, that's like the the, the the unanimous conclusion. That's the unanimous review that I've seen for that video game outside of people that just want to be different. You're always going to have someone that wants to be different, that wants to go against the wave, and wants to be the other guy, you know, just for the sake of being different, they're going to call the game, the, the, the movie bad, right? You, you kind of get those every once in a while. The issue that I've, that I've found with game reviewers is that sometimes they're just not critical enough. And I think that one of the problems that arises is... One pattern that I've noticed a lot with, with game reviews, especially if we're talking about large outlets like IGN, is that when they assign a video game, they assign a video game based upon that person's personal likes, dislikes, and history. So for example, I wouldn't be surprised if when Star Wars Jedi Survivor was up for review and they're having this meeting or the editor-in-chief is trying to find out who am I going to give this review to, they're seeking out the person who likes Star Wars. But I feel like by doing that, you're already swaying that review just a bit. Because if you have someone that's a Star Wars fanatic, and I can't say this about Mr. Morgan Park right here because I don't know this man's history. I'm not going to lie. I'm looking at his photo. He definitely <laughs> looks like a Star Wars fan. I'm sorry to put this out there, but he definitely looks like he consumes a lot of Star Wars. No offense, Morgan. I'm sorry. But... This is what I've noticed a lot. And I've seen, I see a lot more review outlets do Pokemon. They, they give it to their Pokemon masters, the people who've been playing since red and blue. And on one hand, it makes sense, right? It, it does make the utmost sense because especially for a game like Pokemon, you have to really go into the technicals. I personally would never want to review a Pokemon game. Or if I did, I would open the Pokemon game. Excuse me. I would open up that review by saying, this review is purely for people who have never played Pokemon before because I personally have not played Pokemon since like red and blue. Like I have not, I, Pokemon is not my thing, right? My po my review is not going to work for people that play the game every single year. So you, you need an expert in those instances because I need someone who's going to tell me, 
what are the improvements? What are the differences between this game and the Pokemon game that came out last year or within the last two years? You're going to need that person. I'm not that person, right? I'm not that guy. But the one thing that I, I, I look at a review like this and I look at this, and I go, how could you give this game an eight out of 10? The review system in our industry is so beyond broken at this point. I don't understand how it's not something that we uh, talk about. We, we need to talk about this a lot more. Because when Cyberpunk released, at that point in time, I did multiple podcast episodes of Camp Koji talking about it. And in a lot of those episodes, I said that Cyberpunk taught our industry a lesson. And it would seem that our industry did not learn that lesson. And the lesson that was, that was taught is that as a game reviewer, as, as the outlet, your job is not to work in the best interest of the publisher. That's not your job, right? Your job is to serve the reader, right? <laughs> that, that is your, your prime objective is for me as a, as, as a, as a viewer, a reader, a listener is you're giving me the most neutral perspective on a game. And the one, the lesson that was learned with Cyberpunk 2077 is that the media reviewed that game heavily in favor of the publisher's wishes, right? The console game, they, they weren't given codes until like the day of, I think it was to review the console games. Even when they were reviewing the PC version, uh, reviewers were not allowed to show their own footage. They had to show the footage that CD Projekt Red provided to them. And it was only a very small amount. And I think I think most of those were actually YouTubers that declined. That straight up told CD Projekt Red, no, I cannot um, morally review this game under those conditions. If you're not willing to weigh those conditions, meaning I'm able to publish my own footage, that I'm not putting out review. And a lot of those, um, a few of those outlets, I think Skill Up was one of them, but don't quote me, bought the game at retail and waited like a week or two weeks to put their review out. That is the right thing to do. So when you look at these other websites, the biggest ones, like IGN, I'm going to use my prime example. IGN is supposed to be the leader. I think it's without argument. IGN is the biggest video game media outlet we have in our industry. It's not even, it, yeah, you know what I'm going to say? It's not even close. Maybe the closest would probably be something like GameSpot, but IGN is still the biggest. If they were, if, if they would have stepped forward and would have told um, CD Projekt Red, no, we're not going to do this. And then put something out there to their readers, to their viewers, and said, hey, we were, we were um, given early access to Cyberpunk 2077. We decided not to review the game. Unfortunately, you'll have to wait. I would have respected IGN tenfold if they did that because it showed me that they have integrity, but they don't because companies like IGN go, no, this is the most anticipated game and like one of the most anticipated games of the last decade. We have to be one of the first people to review this. And that's exactly what they did. You know what they gave Cyberpunk? A nine, a staggering nine, <laughs> a game that came out completely broken. And the thing about it is that one of, there's so many issues with attaching a number to a review. 
But one of the side effects of attaching a number to that review, because I remember IGN was one of the first ones to go out there with that number, is that, look, people have very short attention spans now. And I think that review scores only help to further the issue of people just not properly reading through things. And I guarantee you there were thousands and thousands of people that saw that review, saw that blurb on Twitter, retweeted it, didn't even read the article. They just saw a nine. Cyberpunk got a nine and they went out and they bought it for the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, even, even regular Series X, PS5. I had a lot of issues with Series X that didn't read their review and didn't know that they were buying the most unstable version because all, all we're all we're doing right now is we're trading the number, right? That's all that happens. No one's talking about actual reviews anymore. When a review happens, you're either a person who A, uh, thought it was going to review really high, and once it does, you retweet it and say, see, I told you so, right? Or you're a, a plastic box warrior and, you know, Redfall's looking like it's not going to get favorable review so if you're a sony pony you're gonna go ahead and retweet that and say ah, i see rub it in your face you're not reading it you're not doing it. you're just looking at that singular number review numbers are holding our industry back but i think what's worse is how the media continues to help publishers release unfinished games i've been saying this for quite some time if you are especially a PC game review site like PC Gamer, I would write a big U under my verdict. I'm not giving you an eight out of ten, even if even if I'm 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 straight up docking points and I'm giving you a five out of ten because of performance. I'm not even doing that. My review is called U, meaning unfinished, and I would give all my impressions of the game, and I would say this review is not finished because the game is not finished. And this is something that we have to stop perpetuating this shit in our industry. We have to stop helping publishers because this is getting worse and worse and worse. We're talking about multiple points throughout the year that we're hearing, even sometimes console, but primarily PC games that are being released unfinished. And the thing about it is that if you are a, a publisher, right? And you're, you're saying to yourself, damn it, like the game is unfinished, it's broken, it's not going to be ready. Even with the day one patch, it's not going to be stable. How can we get people to buy this game? What you're relying on is on reviewers. But if, like, just imagine this much, right? Star Wars Jedi Survivor on Metacritic, like I said, for the PC version, is 78. That gives it that, that beautiful green box. That's that's all. That's literally how lazy we've gotten with reading. It went from reading an entire review to reading a number. Now we just look at a color, right? So that green, green means go, right? As, as a publisher, you're dreading the yellow, and you definitely want to avoid the red when it comes to Metacritic. But, you're, but, but all these PC review sites are doing uh, a service to electronic arts by getting them to that green light. Instead of being open and honest with their viewers, their readers, and saying, we played through the game, I enjoyed it, but the game is obviously unfinished. It has not been optimized for, the, for personal computers. We tested it on three, four different computers, all of them, they ran really bad. Maybe one ran a little bit better than the other. But if you're talking about releasing a PC game in the year 2023 
and your game is struggling to go above 37 frames per second for a PC game. That is an unfinished port. Okay? Simple and plain. And the thing about it is that publishers use these. These are like these are like points that they plot and they look at and they discuss in meetings. You know how many publishers probably still talk about Cyberpunk 2077 to this day when they're talking about delaying a game? They're, they're, they're looking at CD Projekt Red and they're like, that team sold 13 million copies within the first two weeks. 13 million copies amidst all the negative reception that they were getting. Now, think about it. Would they still have, have, have sold 13 million copies if, I'm not, maybe not the majority, but if the, the biggest, the biggest review websites in our industry said, our review remains unfinished. And, they, you know, they wrote a review. Maybe they spoke favorably about the story and the characters. So as, as a viewer, you can still read through and, and maybe make that decision if you want it or not. But at the end, if they wrote, our review remains unfinished. We will keep checking back. Every time there's a new patch, we're going to run it again. Once we feel that the game is stable, meaning that the game is in its state that we all, that a consumer that is about to spend $67 on the game, that that consumer, at the level that consumer expects it to be for shelling out $60, $70, then at that point, we'll give it a review score. For now, it remains unfinished. This needs to stop. It just needs to stop. First of all, I've always hated Metacritic. I don't like Metacritic, especially after finding out that employee bonuses are based upon Metacritic. So you're telling me that prof what we consider professional opinions, because that's what that's what reviews are, ladies and gentlemen. They're just they're just opinions from people that we deem as professional because they have a website behind them. Okay. The person who reviewed Hi-Fi Rush at IGN, their review is not more professional or better than my review, okay? Both of us have opinions. You can go to my YouTube and say, I want to I want to hear Joel's opinion on Hi-Fi Rush, or you can go to IGN and say, I want to hear their opinion. But the problem is that we've lumped all the reviewers together, so it's like, we just want to hear IGN's opinion. We look at it as a professional opinion. So think about that. People's opinions on a video game can determine whether or not someone gets someone that they have no idea this person, <laughs> they have no idea who this person is, some artist that worked on Star Wars Jedi Survivor, whether they get a bonus or not. That's that's ridiculous to me. It's just ridiculous. This needs to end. This needs to stop. We have to stop reviewing video games and giving them an 8 out of 10. That's a pretty damn good score. And then at the end of your review, you tell me that the game was borderline unplayable, but you gave it an eight out of 10. Like you, you have to take much more pride in your work than that. You just have to, you have to be able to take much more pride in your work because media should not be working for publishers. It's supposed to be the other way around because this is part of a marketing This is part of your marketing cycles, your marketing campaign, right? Reviewers are not paid to do this reviewers don't pay to buy the game they don't pay for those codes that they get early right it's a mutual benefit that these two parties have come to but it's like if you think that i'm going to use my channel my media outlet my voice to help you sell a broken game 
No, that's not going to happen. But that's exactly what PC Gamer has done. Because I guarantee you there are people that, you know, there are a lot of people, and even I do it sometimes on my Twitter, that just go, here are the aggregate review scores. And people just look at the numbers, right? So if you're that typical consumer that feels like you're saving time by not reading, and someone retweets and says, hey, look at Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I got an 80 on Metacritic. I got 5 out of 5 here, 10 out of 10 there, 8 out of 10 there. You're not clicking through and finding out, okay, when they gave it a 9 out of 10, did they play the PC version? Did they play the PS5 version? Why did they give it a... No, you're just looking at those numbers. And even if you're a PC game, you're like, oh man, PC gamer gave it an 8 out of 10, right? So you're, you're giving them this blind trust without even reading it and finding out that at the bottom, it says, but maybe wait for better performance. Like what other... Like I've brought this up before. What other industry does this? What 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 book review have you ever heard of that says, yeah, chapter four and five are missing? Uh, maybe wait until they put those up. But it was a pretty good. No, no, no one reviews a, 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 a film and says, hey, the third act is kind of buggy. The sound goes out when I was in the theater. I went to watch it another theater. The same thing happened. And also, you, you, you know, in, in the uh, the second act, you can see the green, the blue screen in the background. The VFX weren't finished. They said it'll be finished in, in, in two weeks. They're going to update it in the movie theater. Nine out of 10, go watch the movie, right? This, it doesn't happen. But for whatever stupid reason, this continues to happen within our industry. It's ridiculous that this continues to happen. Our final story is uh, Xbox. So Xbox had a roller coaster of a week last week with the big news being that the UK CMA has blocked Microsoft's attempt to acquire Activision Blizzard but before we dive into that, let's go earlier into the week when it was still good news for Xbox. So during an earning call, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella announced that Xbox had a pretty strong third quarter in terms of generated revenue. Revenue from Xbox content services, which is by far the division's biggest money generator, was up 3% year over year, driven by growth in Game Pass. He confirmed revenue from subscriptions reached nearly $1 billion during the quarter. Contrastingly, Xbox's hardware revenue was down 30%, but a prior year comparable that benefited from increased console supply. Overall, third quarter gaming revenue declined 4% year over year to around $3.59 billion. However, the figure marks the second best third quarter ever for the Xbox business. So Xbox has obviously gone through quite a pivot in the last few years. Um, you know, I, I understand a lot of people like to look at the hardware numbers and look at PlayStation versus Xbox and say, like, wow, look at that. PlayStation had one of the best quarters in the gaming history. And they're probably easily at 2X. It's probably uh, creeping towards three, two PlayStation 5 for every Series X sold. But uh, I've been saying this for a while that I, I really don't think Microsoft cares. I think that Microsoft's goal is how do we convert more people from hardware to software? And, you know, I've been saying for a while that the best Xbox you can buy right now is probably a PC, <laughs> you know, even, even giving all the optimization, optimization issues that we've been seeing lately, it's probably still the best Xbox that you can buy is, um, is a PC. And I think Microsoft is fine with that. I think Microsoft is a company when it comes to video games. I think they're just more interested in software subscriptions Versus hardware. I think that they know that the world is nowhere near ready to completely get rid of um, of home hardware. 
But you know, that's why Microsoft is happy to see things like the Steam Deck. They're more than happy to see like that Asus Ally handheld that's supposed to be coming out this month. Um, because to them, it's like, oh, that's someone else's hardware. They're taking the loss, right? Now, um, Asus is losing because there's no way that they're making money off of those. I have to, I would have to guess that they're losing a little bit. I don't know how they're making it up, but, um, you know, all not, not, now they're the ones that's, that's losing 50 bucks or whatever per hardware. It's not me, but when someone gets that hardware, um, you get three free months of game pass with it. My hope is that they, they stick to game pass and they stay in the Xbox ecosystem. And now I'm making that money every, um, every single month. Maybe they're, if they're in the Xbox ecosystem, they buy from the Xbox store instead of buying from Steam, for example. And now I'm making money. I'm making residuals off of that. I'm taking percentage off the top off of that. I'm not making, I'm not taking a loss off of my hardware, but I'm still getting the benefit of, uh, of software. And I think that's really the way the Xbox is looking at it. So whenever I see that hardware revenue is down, I don't think that that's something that X, that really bothers Xbox. Um, more so than it would probably bother a, a company like PlayStation and Nintendo, because I feel like this is still according to their plan. Um, which is that even if you're a PC gamer, as long as your PC game pass game pass ultimate, or you're buying things from the Xbox store, they're more than happy to continue that. Now onto the bad news. The UK CMA has blocked Microsoft's acquisition because they found the merger will lessen competition in cloud gaming leading to reduced innovation and less choice for UK gamers. Now, this is something I've brought up in the show before where I've said that if there's anything that will block this deal at any point in any country, it would have to be cloud. And I was 100% right about that. Even, even though I did not think that they would actually do it, right? Like I thought that, yeah, this would be the reason why if someone were to block it, I still didn't think it would actually happen. Um, but it was because of cloud. Now, Microsoft already accounts for an estimated 60 to 70% of global cloud gaming services and has other important strengths in cloud gaming from owning Xbox, the leading PC operating system, and a global cloud computing infrastructure, Azure and Xbox cloud gaming. Quote, the deal would reinforce Microsoft's advantage in the market by giving it control over important gaming content, such as Call of Duty, Overwatch, and World of Warcraft. The evidence available to the CMA indicates that absent the merger, Activision will start providing games via cloud platforms in the foreseeable future. So they believe, you know, Xbox is talking about like, look, if we get this company, more people will be able to play Call of Duty. They started plastering all these advertising about it, like 150 million people will be able to play blah, 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 Call of Duty because of the cloud. What the CMA is saying is that as cloud grows, uh, Activision will no longer be able to ignore it. And at some point, they're going to put uh, Call of Duty in the cloud. And when they make that decision, the benefit to them as a company is to put it on as many cloud platforms as possible. You want to put on the Amazon Luna, Ubuntu, uh, Boosteroid, NVIDIA, uh, obviously Xbox, maybe even PlayStation um, Now or something like that. Um, and for the CMA, if they were to get this company, then theoretically Xbox would want to keep Call of Duty to themselves at some point. Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, says, quote, we have already signed contracts to make Activision Blizzard's popular games available on 150 million more devices. We remain committed to reinforcing these agreements through regulatory remedies. 
We're especially disappointed that after lengthy deliberations, this decision appears to reflect a flawed understanding of this market and the way the relevant cloud technology actually works. Now, some analysts believe the deal can still go through. Uh, one of the big names, Wedbush Securities analyst Michael Pachter, suggested a deal where Microsoft maintains the price of Game Pass for some time with another suggestion that they carve out a special version of Game Pass in the UK that does not contain Activision Blizzard games. Brad Smith called the decision probably the darkest day in our four decades in Britain, which is, uh, that's uh, that's pretty far there, buddy. Jeez, darkest day. Uh, now, the next next up is the European Commission, which will publish its verdict May 22nd, and then the FTC's court actions begin in August. I'm sure they're probably going to bring this up as part of their argument. Um, so overwhelmingly, it seems like the public from media to players outside of Sony ponies uh, agree that CMA overstepped the line by declining this deal because of cloud gaming. And there were, there are a lot of arguments being made. Number one is that cloud gaming is so small, which cloud gaming probably um, does compute to like a 1%, 2% of overall gaming at this point, right? Still a baby, right? At, at this moment. Um, if you listen to the show, if you watch my YouTube, you know how important it is for me to view things from smack dab in the middle. And that's how I want to talk about this is that on one hand, I've always maintained that I do believe that this is going to bolster competition, right? I don't think that this is going to hinder competition in, in any way, but the one thing that I have brought up is cloud. And I think that a lot of people are viewing this from, from cloud right now. Even the CMA uh, calculated it incorrectly. I think the CMA, when they did their calculations, they calculated as like, there are 30 million people using xCloud right now, which is not true, right? There, are, Yes, by now, there should be about 30 million Game Pass subscribers. It doesn't mean that 30 million people are using xCloud. I've been a Game Pass subscriber almost since the very beginning. I did the dollar deal. I did the little workaround where I stretched it out to a few years. And now I um, I, sub I subscribe to Game Pass on, on a monthly basis. Like some months I'll activate it, other months I'll deactivate it. I don't pay for it every month. There's not something I want to play. I'm not going to give Xbox $15, right? Or sometimes if I see a deal, like Amazon has a sale for like three months for the price of, of two or something like that, I'll buy one of those cards. Um, the entire time I've been with Game Pass, which is once again years, I've used xCloud, I can tell you, probably five times. That's probably the most. And all those were just experimental. We're just trying it out. So when xCloud first went into beta, I tried it out. When it entered into a more stable version, tried it out again. Um, when they introduced touch controls, I was like, oh, let me see what this is about. Tried it out again. When Xbox put an application on the TV, my brother-in-law bought a brand new Samsung. I was like, dude, I got to try the Xbox app. Tried it on there. Worked amazing, right? But I don't use xCloud. Why? Because I have an Xbox and a PC. I have no reason to rely on it. And it's honestly not super perfect. Like it, it, it does work really well, but there still are these moments where buffers and, you know, the, the, uh, um, so the, the visuals start to degrade and you see a lot of clipping and it just doesn't feel very good, especially for a person like me that's been playing games natively for 
pretty much their entire life. Like it's very hard to switch over to uh, to cloud. I will say the latency issue. I don't think is that much of a big deal. Some people are are, uh, are bringing it up. But um, so yeah, I think the CMA did calculate it incorrectly. But I do. This is something that I brought up in the past on a pod where I said that. I want these types of regulators. I do want regulators that are going to look at things from a bigger picture and look at things from the future because I think it's always important for us to, even if we enjoy a company like, Hey, I, I, I enjoy a lot of what Microsoft is doing. I criticize them a lot, but I do enjoy a lot of the things that they do with, with, with their gaming division. But I never want to reach a point where a company has too much power. And we we see what can happen with a company like Apple, right? With a company like Apple that has a device that is basically like the, the, the third arm of the human being right now, right? We are all technically androids, right? Because so much of our life is attached to a cell phone. So you have such an imperative device, millions and millions and millions and now you control the key. And now you're telling Xbox, no, you can't have Game Pass on my on my service. You're telling Epic, no, you can't have your own store. You have to pay me 30%. So you can see sort of the negatives when a company has too much power. And I like to imagine a scenario of, because I feel like not a lot of people think about this scenario. And maybe I'm fear-mongering or maybe I'm exaggerating a bit. I don't know. But I do like to look at it from the scenario of what is the worst case scenario of this? Because we do have to remember that as much as Microsoft wants to say more games to more players, this is our goal, this is what we want to do. It's not really true, guys. Like It's just all PR stuff. We have to call it how it is. You can't tell me you want uh, more gamers to play more games and then your first point of order as soon as you get that first meeting with Bethesda's guy, like, yeah, Hi-Fi Rush, Redfall, uh, Starfield. Yeah, we're going to stop developing the PlayStation 5. That doesn't really sound like a company that wants uh, more games for more players, right? Come on. But I look at it, at, and, and I brought this up before when they were signing up those 10-year deals, or I brought up in the podcast, I, I said, this is all just PR. If they really wanted more more games for more players, where's the Amazon deal? I want to see what that looks like. I want to know, have you even talked to Amazon? Did Am Have you and Amazon even had discussions? I also have brought up about Sony's defense. I said, yeah, you know, Jim Ryan's kind of being a little bit of a baby. But they also brought up that the Call of Duty deal was bad. And I remember saying in the podcast, well, why isn't Xbox talking about the deal more to sort of sway us, sway the public and let us know, no, Sony is wrong. The deal is good. And then we found out last week that the deal was bad, <laughs> which is that if Sony wants to put Call of Duty on PlayStation now, not only um, not only would they have to pay uh, Microsoft for that privilege, well, Microsoft also take 30% of anything, any microtransaction or DLC sold through the cloud version of Call of Duty. I mean, it's kind of a bit much. And Sony has shown previously in their history that they're not happy with those type of deals. We heard about the Fortnite cloud thing and, and all that stuff where PlayStation wants the majority of the cut if they feel that that account is playing the majority of the time on PlayStation, right? Which I feel like is a fair deal. So I, I sort of do look at this as like, well, what's the worst case scenario? Now, the worst case scenario is if we do imagine a world where cloud gets really, really good. Now, 
if there's one thing that I feel like we can all agree on with a technology is that it gets better before it gets worse. It's kind of rare that a technology gets worse. So I feel like there will be a point where cloud will get better. Latency will get better, right? I, I, I've I seen it, right? We've all seen it. I played xCloud from the beginning and I've tried xCloud now. It really does feel like a big leap in terms of how a game feels, the latency, uh, how a game looks. Uh, you know, like I said, when I tried it on that Samsung television last week, it truly did feel like I was connected to an Xbox. And I tried uh, Forza, I tried Vampire, and I think I tried a little bit of like Halo Infinite just to, to, just to get a, a couple things out there. And cloud gaming will only get better. And the one thing I want to say is that, yes, Xbox is doing these 10-year deals. What happens when the 10 years expire? So let's say everything somehow goes Microsoft's way. And in 2024, they get uh, control of Activision. That's when this 10-year deal begins, right? It starts in 2024, and it lasts until um, uh, um, 2034. I don't know why my math is all messed up right now. <laughs> but let's say it lasts until 2034. In that 10-year period, cloud has, has gone through leaps and bounds, right? We have multiple... Um, handheld PC devices, the Steam Deck 2 is out there, it's lighter, it's cooler. Um, all these different companies are doing their own handheld devices. Now you can play games wherever you want. Um, maybe Microsoft enters into a, a deal with one of them uh, in order to get like a really nice partnership going. Cloud gaming is a lot faster, it's a lot easier. Uh, on cell phones, it's on TVs, monitors, browsers, kind of just everywhere. You can hand it off easily right we're into a next generation of gaming right now and xbox and playstation are releasing their next systems and they're both typically 500 600 each but xbox says you know what instead of giving me 500 600 we're going to launch with elder scrolls 6 and you don't have to do that you give me 20 dollars a month because that's, that's going to be the price of game pass in 10 years we're going to give me 20 dollars a month and you'll be able to stream Elder Scrolls 6 to your PC, to your TV, to your cell phone, wherever you want. Pick up and play, drop it off, uh, saves, cross saves, cross compatibility. And it's going to feel exactly like if you had this $500 system. Now, once those 10 years are up, theoretically, then Xbox would just say, we're not re-signing. Boosterite is a no. NVIDIA is a no. Uh, Ubuntu is a no. Um whatever all these other companies are, it's a no. Sorry, we're not re-signing that deal. If we're talking about a transition from a console to a console, so let's say Xbox telling PlayStation players, you guys can no longer get Call of Duty. The switch from PlayStation to Xbox is, is not very easy, right? Because you're switching an entire ecosystem around. Um, you're, you're basically going, you're really are going from one team to another. You're giving them access to this list of games in order to gain access to that list of games. And, uh, maybe Call of Duty is not worth it because you're giving up the God of Wars, the Ghost of Tsushima and all that stuff, uh, for the future of your console. Then you have to talk about selling and rebuying another $500, $600 console, whatever, and everything that comes into it. You're, you're hopping into a completely different ecosystem. If you are a Boosteroid, uh, consumer, you're really enjoying playing Call of Duty. And it's in a cloud, right? Your saves are in the cloud. And Xbox all of a sudden says, yeah, next July, Boosteroid is no longer going to have access to Call of Duty, but we're going to have it on xCloud. Just come over to us and you'll be able to pick up exactly where you left off. 
as a consumer, there's zero friction, right? Because your saves are there. You're just going to have access to those games and then some. You can even keep your booster roided for whatever reason to have access to other stuff that you don't want. But for, for the most part, if Xbox is a leader in cloud, that would mean that their library is pretty large. Because remember, in the future, we're not just streaming Game Pass games, right? We're also streaming games that we own. We're streaming games on our Xbox Drive, right? At that point, I feel like that's when things get a little muddy. Because then that means that in this future, if Xbox does, excuse me, if gaming reaches the, this future that I've been talking about for a while, which is I do think that gaming wants to get to the same point as music and movies, which is instant access, right? I send you a link to a video game, you click on it on your phone, hopefully you have your control and you're able to start playing immediately. Who's going to be the leader in that? And the thing about it is it, it really is like um, thinking about the fact that there will only be a single service. There will only be a single door you can walk through. The, the Xbox door is the only door you can walk through if you want to play every Elder Scrolls, every Fallout, every Call of Duty, every Crash Bandicoot game. Uh, well, maybe not everyone, but you know what I mean. Uh, every Halo, every Fable, um, every you know, Star, you know, Dishonored, all these major, fran Doom, all these major franchises that this company has. If you want to partake in that in cloud, this is a single place where you're going to be able to do it. It kind of can get really bad, right? <laughs> when we, when we kind of think about it. But the problem is that the CMA is, is thinking about that scenario, I think. And the chances of that scenario happening the problem is that Xbox is the only company that had, that take that that took the risk to build this, right? And I think it's one of those things where it's like, well, shouldn't they be rewarded because they're the ones spending so much time and money building this infrastructure? They're the only ones that did it. Shouldn't they be rewarded with that in the future? But then it also kind of brings up this other it's it, like I said, it's, it's a lot of this back and forth dealing that you have to think about. But the thing about it is that what company can compete with Xbox in this theoretical cloud future? Google tried. Doubt that they're going to try it again, right? They lost so much money with Stadia. Um, Amazon has Luna, but for whatever reason, Amazon is just not really interested in Luna. That's the one thing I've, say, I've been saying for a while. Luna is a failure because Amazon has just allowed it to fail. They probably look at people tightening their budgets. They're they're losing money as a company and they're just not interested in taking that risk. Um, it's impossible. Like a lot of people I saw were bringing up about, well, it's not Microsoft's fault that Google failed with Stadia. Uh, yeah, it kind of is. It sort of in a sense is because one of the major reasons why people didn't buy into Stadia was the fact that they did not have an a la carte option similar to Game Pass. They didn't have that Netflix option. And even when they did, well, this is kind of Google's fault. Google was not willing to put that much money up. They, they made a lot of financial mistakes, right? I brought it up immediately when they were opening their own studios. I said, this is going to be one of the stupidest mistakes they make. And I was 100% right. It was not a good use of their money. Paying Rockstar millions and millions of dollars to make Red Dead exclusive, for example, was just not a good use of their money. But I think it's impossible to look at something like Stadia and not say that, Xbox was at least in part responsible for their failure. I, I don't think that that's realistic to put uh, to put into that. So I do think that 
I think that cloud is still so tiny to talk about like, um, you know, Hey, Xbox, if they, if they get this, they'll, they'll be too powerful in the future because the problem is that Xbox doesn't have competition in the cloud and Xbox is still taking a risk when it comes to, uh, investing so much money in the cloud. Uh, because remember, cloud is included in your purchase. It's not like when you sign up for, for Ultimate, you have to pay an extra fee to play on cloud. It is uh, part of your subscription. The thing about it, though, is like, how can I tell Xbox, no, this gives you too much power when essentially they are the only company that wants to assume this risk? And when you think about how many companies can actually do this, how many companies are capable of building this type of infrastructure that Xbox has built, there's really not that many left. If you if you wipe Google out, I mean, who's left? There's Amazon, Apple. I don't think Apple's ever going to be interested in doing something like this. It's really just Amazon, right? And I, I don't see, like PlayStation had talked about um, partnering with Microsoft to use Azure technology. I don't think Sony is interested in putting in a decade of work to build out this type of infrastructure for cloud gaming. Microsoft has already built it. And um, I can't punish a company for being the only one that's doing this when this is like open season, right? Anybody can do this. And the other problem is like, this. let's say this does fail. Let's say they're not able to buy this company. The, the solution for Xbox would still be the same, right? You can still go to Activision and you can still say, hey, I want to sign a 10-year deal where the only way that you can access um, every Call of Duty is through Game Pass. The only place that you can stream Call of Duty over the cloud is going to be on Xbox, right? You can still reach the same conclusion without this purchase. That's why I sort of look at it as like, there's not really much that you can do um, to stop this. Either the, the e either it, a, as long as Xbox is a company that allows the Azure technology to be used, which is like, look, if you want to build your own, if you want to build your own PlayStation now, if you want to do your own streaming uh, cloud service, you can use my infrastructure to do it. Unless Microsoft gets to a point where they go, no, no one can use my cloud infrastructure. I'm going to be the only company ever to distribute uh, games over a cloud. Then that becomes a problem. But they've shown that they've been open to uh, using the Azure technology or letting competitors use Azure technology. So no matter what, Xbox can reach this conclusion. If this if this fails and this doesn't go through, now Microsoft has $69 billion to start signing exclusivity deals for their cloud. Exclusive, you know, whatever game is coming up, it's like, nah, you can't you can't stream through NVIDIA GeForce now. You you can only the only place you can stream the game over the cloud is gonna be through Xbox. And that gives someone a further incentive. Um, for where they buy their games, right? No matter what, they can still reach a similar conclusion. So the way that I look at this is like, this isn't a good enough reason to tell Xbox, no, you can't buy this company. So we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, Microsoft is going to start going through appeals. It's, it's probably not going to close this year. I'm sure a lot of us are just like me. I'm just, I just want this done with, whether they get the company or not. But it looks like we're going to have to wait a little bit longer uh, to find out what happens. Hot releases for the week. May 2nd, we have Redfall coming to PC, Xbox Series X, and Game Pass. May 5th, 
We have Hogwarts Legacy, PS4, Xbox One. Time for us to wrap it up. Stories we didn't have to, time to get to. Valve Steam Deck said to have its first true competitor in the Asus ROG Ally as price expectations have leaked and the highest end model is $700, just $50 more than its Steam Deck alternative. Apparently, there's two models. I don't remember the two names, but the higher end model is $700. The lower end model is only $600, so they're $100 apart. Apparently, the $700 model on paper, it does outperform the Steam Deck. It has a better, uh, a better screen. It is lighter. It runs natively Windows 10 um, or Windows 11. I honestly can't remember. Um, so just out of the box, Steam, Game Pass, you kind of have access to everything and anything on there. Look, as long as the battery is really good, which we'll probably have to wait to, to, to find out. It's supposed to come out this month. Um, this could introduce some 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 true competition for Valve. And this is the stuff that excites me. This is stuff that we need. We need competition. Valve has kind of been a little bit solo in the portable PC gaming space. Like, yeah, they've been these other companies, but they're extremely expensive. They start like at a thousand dollars and stuff like that. Um, so it's good to see a big name out there in Asus. They are partnering with Microsoft to help launch the system. Um, and for it to be so competitively priced, it's like, I love this, man. I love competition. It just makes, we as consumers always win. We always win. We get better products out of it. And finally, some Redfall game cases have made their way on the internet, showing that the game runs in 60 frames per second with a sticker being placed on the box to clarify it won't be available at launch. So hard print out of the box, it says 60 FPS. There's like this tiny little white sticker that says performance mode, 60 FPS performance mode will not be available at launch. Just another indication that this game was rushed. And Xbox just continues to commit this mistake. Um, it doesn't look like the reviews are going to be very good. I, I feel like this is definitely one of my, I told you some moments, I've been saying it uh, since the moment they showed gameplay where I was like, this game just does not look very good. But even without that, you can definitely tell that the game is just rushed. It's being rushed out the door. I think Xbox is concerned about how many people or how many of their fans are upset at the lack of games. But I don't understand how as as uh, an X, as Xbox and even Bethesda, I think Bethesda also has to take a little bit of responsibility here too. Um, I don't understand how you look at the success of something like Hi-Fi Rush which it wasn't just that it was like a shadow drop. It was that it was an extremely polished video game. It looked great. It played great. There were no complaints from that department. And then you turn around and then your very, not very next game, I guess after Minecraft Legends, uh, you rush a video game. It's definitely a game that's just not ready to be released instead of being upfront and being honest with your um with your consumers and saying like, yes, yeah, it's just not ready to release. And, and I've brought this up before. I'm going to bring it up again. Xbox, you can steal this idea if you'd like. Xbox needs to start experimenting with putting more games into Game Pass early access. Redfall would have been perfect. Where you would have said, hey guys, I'm sorry, Redfall is not ready for release. But if you are a Game Pass subscriber, and only if you are a Game Pass subscriber, you get early access to the video game May 2nd. What that accomplishes 
is that, yeah, it'll launch at 30 frames per second because it's just not ready yet. It's going to launch buggy, right? It's definitely not ready. But people are going to look at it like a perk. It's like a bonus. Like, oh, I'm, I'm a Game Pass subscriber. I get to play this game early. And guess what? Minimal complaints. Like, yeah, you're going to have people that are probably going to criticize the story, but no one's going to be uh, you know, uh, critical about the performance or critical about the fact that it's 30 FPS because it's early access. You did it with Grounded. You need to start doing this with Warren Games because for whatever reason... You guys can't get your shit together and put out games uh, on time. This is a happy medium. There's one thing that consumers have accepted widely within the last few years is paying for early access. They're more than happy to do it. And other games like I bring up Sons of the Forest a lot when I talk about this. They'll they'll just for thirty dollars you get early access to that single game. But if you do it with something like Redfall, you're saying, hey, this is just included in your subscription. You're paying that $15 a month. You get early access to Redfall. I'm sorry, but it won't be ready until October or whenever, blah, 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 blah. That's when you will have the official version out. You'll be able to buy it at stores or whatever. Xbox, I feel like at this point, you guys just need to start doing this because I feel like it is a happy medium. Shoutouts of the week. Shout out to Deep Silver. Dead Island 2 surpassed 1 million sales in its first three days on sale. And also shout out to Nintendo. To no one's surprise, the Super Mario Brothers movie has surpassed $1 billion, making it just the fifth film to do so since pandemic restrictions were lifted. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Tim Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you all next week.